Welcome to the Athens First United Methodist Church Sermons Podcast. I'm Kayla Thomason, a member of the communications team. We hope you enjoy this weekly resource. Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. I have to say that after all that we have experienced in worship this morning, I am on cloud nine right now. Between our Alleluia singers, our sanctuary choir, our guest instrumentalists, and one of the sweetest baptisms I have ever been a part of, it has been a good day at Athens First. And we are so grateful uh, that you are here this morning to be a part of it, because I know that this is fall break. I know that this is a long weekend. I know that there are a lot of other places that you could be this morning, but you are here in worship with us, and for that I am grateful. Because any time that you're not in worship, I hope you realize that worship is not the same. So I'm grateful that we could be here this morning, grateful that we can be in week five of our stewardship series. It's called All Things New. And what we've been doing together is looking at this idea of stewardship from a broader perspective. What does it mean to be good stewards of all that God has entrusted to us as a church? Not just in what we give, but, but in, in who we are and what God has called us to do. Where is God calling us to go? This morning I want us to look at the question, how is God calling us to give? And to do that, I want us to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture, at least to, to most of us. It's the 21st chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to read the first four verses. Hear now the Word of God. Jesus looked up, and he saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury, and he also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for all of them contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in in all that she has to live on. This is the word of God for the people of God. So back when I was a freshman in college, I remember one Sunday my roommate came up to me and he said, Jeremy, uh, I got a call earlier this week from my mother. Uh, She told me that she wants me to come home and to go to church with her and the family. And she said that you would be welcome to come with if you'd like. So... Uh, What do you think? Do you you want to go to church with me this morning? And I remember saying to my roommate at the time, I said, oh man, I wish I could. I really do. Uh, But I've got so much work to do. I've got to study and I've got some papers that I need to work on. And there's just so much going on that, that I just couldn't possibly go to church with you this morning. And he said, well, there is one thing that you need to know. My mother makes a massive after church lunch. To which I said, you know, on second thought, uh, I probably do need some Jesus in my life this morning. I, I need to fill my spiritual tank. I think we would do well to go to church together. So we did. So we got in his truck and we headed down to Hickory, North Carolina, uh, which was about an hour away from where we went to school. I remember when we, we drove up to the church, it was this beautiful little country church. And I wasn't sure what denomination it was, but I do remember from the moment I walked into the worship service, um, it was uh, the kind of church that I think most of us would describe as, 
as charismatic. Of course, that was, that was a rather shocking thing for me because, of course, I grew up Presbyterian. And in the Presbyterian church, a, a really crazy day, just like an off-the-wall uh, worship experience, was the time that the guy who gets bread for communion bought King's Hawaiian bread instead of the regular <laughs> bread. And it was like Pentecost in the room. It was just, people were going nuts. Of course, my brother at the time, he got in line and he went up to receive communion. I remember he, he took the body of Christ and he put it in his mouth and he just went... Mm. <laughs> to the point where he actually went back and got in line again. My mother was furious. She said, Adam, you can't, you can't get communion twice. And he said, I know, but this body of Christ is just so good. <laughs> so to say the least, I grew up in a very traditional kind of church, and that was not the experience I had this morning. I had that morning. We, we walked into the church, and you could just tell from the moment worship began that it was going to be very, very different. It was very upbeat music. People were clapping their hands. When somebody was feeling the Spirit, they would literally run up and down the aisle. It was, it was, it was different, but it was great. In fact, I think the, the, the craziest thing about that worship experience that morning was the fact that during the sermon, people actually responded to the preacher. Like, he would say things like, are you with me? And they'd be like, amen. <laughs> Preach it, brother. And I was just dumbfounded by this because not only had I never experienced anything like it before, I've also never experienced anything like it since. <laughs> Especially not in the Methodist church. One thing I've always said is that when we Methodists agree with the preacher or we're enthusiastic about something the preacher has said, we just smile as loudly as possible. So... It was a very different experience, but I will tell you, it was a great experience. And after worship that morning, I remember my roommate, he, he was bringing me around the church. He wanted to kind of give me a tour of the church building. And at one point during the tour, we were walking through the fellowship hall, and I saw over on one of the walls, there was this, um, there was this bulletin board. And on the bulletin board, there were 10 names listed, one through 10, and next to the names was a dollar amount. And so I asked him a question. I said, now what, what is that? And he said, oh, that? That's our stewardship board. It helps us keep track of our top givers throughout the year. And I said, it's what now? He said, that's our stewardship board. That's, that's where we keep track of all, all of our top givers. We've been doing this as long as I can remember. And I said, and your, your congregation actually likes this? And he said, oh, yeah, we love it. Because not only uh, at the end of the year, not only do the top givers, we have a little like, ceremony, and they come up, and they get, a, they get a certificate, but the top three givers get a reserved parking spot <laughs> in front of the sanctuary the following year. And so it gets very competitive come the end of the year. And I said, you are kidding me. And this works? And he said, Giving has gone up every year for as long as I can remember. So I've been thinking about that this week. I thought, could that work at Athens first? Imagine putting a big bulletin board up in Hancock Hall. 
reserving some of the parking spots out front. I mean, could this be a thing? I was actually putting together a proposal for the Finance Committee to vote on. That is until I remembered that there's one person who would be totally unimpressed by such a thing. I remembered that there's one person who would not be on board with that kind of stewardship methodology. Uh, that person's name would be Jesus. The reason I say that is because whenever you look throughout the Gospels, one of the things you tend to find is that Jesus was never concerned with what somebody gave. What Jesus was concerned with, however, is how somebody gave. This story that we read this morning in Luke 21, it could be argued that this would be the quintessential example of that in the Gospels. Because according to Luke, one day Jesus was with his disciples and they were hanging out in what was called the temple treasury. Now the temple treasury was located in a part of the temple that was on the, in the outer courts. In fact, it was in a part of the temple called the Court of the Women. And it was a place where everyone was able to come and make their offerings. So when you walked into the temple treasury, one of the things you found was that there were 13 different receptacles located all around or 13 different, what they called, uh, shofar chests. And they all had different labels on them. They all represented different offerings that you could make that were differently designated. Now, what was interesting about these shofar chests was the fact that they were shaped kind of like a trumpet, which meant that, that whenever you would put your offering into the shofar chest and it was a, a metal coin, the sound of the coin going into the receptacle would kind of just echo throughout the room. It would just kind of resound throughout the temple courts, and everyone would take notice. Of course, the bigger the gift, the bigger the sound. And so you can imagine what it was like when somebody would come in with a really significant offering. You can imagine what it was like to have a big bag of coins, and you just kind of poured it into the shofar chest. It was the kind of offering that would just kind of echo throughout the room and people would turn their heads and nudge their neighbors and they'd say, whoa, daddy, did you see how much that person gave? That was a significant gift. Luke says that Jesus is in the temple treasury with his disciples when all of a sudden a widow came in. And she was in every way the definition of nobody. Because notice that Luke doesn't tell us anything about her. Uh, we don't know her name or her age or where she's from. Uh, she's not quoted as saying anything. She just comes in and she, she makes her offering very anonymously. And that was basically the plight of widows back in the first century. Because, you see, widows were not looked down upon. They weren't outcasts in any way, but they were largely forgotten. That's because back in the first century, it was the husbands who tended to earn all the income. It was the husbands who were the providers. It was the husbands who were the earners. So you can imagine what it was like when a woman lost her husband unexpectedly if her husband died and left her a widow you can only imagine how difficult that was. 
Because the second he died was the second she became incomeless. She was left to fend for herself in a world where women were considered second-class citizens, and there was no way to earn an honest or moral living. That's why widows back in the first century were often very, very poor. Of course, this was not a surprise to any of the readers of the Gospel of Luke, because up to this point in Luke's Gospel, this is the fifth time that a widow has been featured prominently in one of his stories. And the one thing that all of those widows had in common was the fact that they were very, very poor. So here comes this widow, and she comes to offer her offering in the temple treasury, and you get the sense that it went largely unnoticed, which makes sense because the the gift that she offered, it wasn't very significant. In fact, Luke says that she... She came into the temple treasury and offered two small copper coins. These were what were called lepta, or the the old English vernacular called them mites, M-I-T-E. If you grew up with the King James Version Bible, you know that this story is often referred to as the widow's mite. And the word mite actually comes from a word that in the old English uh, means crumb or very tiny morsel. And that's essentially what she gave to the temple treasury that day. Because a mite, or a lepta, was the smallest coin in the currency of the day. Um, It was equal to one 128th of a daily wage. So it took 128 mites to equal a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage. So in other words, what she gave was one 64th of a daily wage. And so you can imagine what it was like for all these other people to come in and make these loud, boisterous offerings that are echoing throughout the room, and then she comes in and she throws in two small copper coins. Can you imagine what that sounded like? I would imagine that if you leaned in real close to where she was, you just might be able to hear a tink, 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 tink. In other words, it was virtually silent, her gift. It was the kind of thing that turned no heads, nor did it create any fanfare. There was nobody elbowing one another saying, did you see how much she just gave? It was a gift that was perfectly befitting of the person who gave it because in so many ways, it went entirely unnoticed. That is except for one person. Luke does say that there was one person in the room that day who noticed what the widow had done. And of course, that was Jesus. Jesus was right there to witness what the woman had done. And when he heard what the woman had done, when he heard that little ta-tink, ta-tink, tink, tink, that was music to Jesus' ears. Because for Jesus, that is what faith sounds like. That's why Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, listen, fellas, I tell you the truth. This this widow has put in more than everyone else here combined because they gave out of their abundance, but she gave all she had to live on. For Jesus, it wasn't about what the widow gave. It was about how she gave. 
It wasn't about the size of her gift, but rather it was about the size of her faith. Because did you notice how Jesus described the two different things that people put in the offering plate? When Jesus is describing the the larger offerings, he calls them gifts. Now notice, that's not a bad thing for Jesus. He's not not demeaning that or belittling that or saying that somehow that's a, a bad thing. But when he goes to describe what the widow did, he doesn't say she gave a gift. He says she gave her all. And that's because for Jesus, that was her way of saying, God, I trust you no matter what. For Jesus, it wasn't about the size of her gift. It was about the size of her faith. Because notice that when the the widow came in to make her offering, notice that she didn't start with a negotiation with God. Notice she didn't come into the worship space and say, all right, now God, before before I do anything, can can I just say, I'd prefer if we could like wait till the end of the month before I give anything, if that's all right. Let's see how the rest of the month pans out because I wanna know if there's any like unexpected bills that come in or if there's any unexpected expenses that I may incur. My, my car has been making this weird sound. I don't know if I need to bring it into the shop. I just, you never know what may come up. So Lord, how about at the end of the month, I'll make my offering, uh, 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 uh. Jesus said she didn't hesitate. She took the only coins she had to live on and she placed them in the temple treasury. Because for her, this wasn't just an act of faith. This was an act of trust. This was her way of saying, God, I I trust you no matter what. I know that you got me. For Jesus, it's never about what we give. It's always about how we give. And so I've been thinking about that this week, especially because we've got Consecration Sunday coming up next week. And I know in years past, when I've been serving at other churches, I often will get an email or a phone call or people will come up to me and they'll want to know. They'll say, Pastor Jeremy, can you help me? How do I, how do I fill out my pledge card? You know, how do I, how do I take this thing and, and make sure that I'm putting the right numbers in? What's the right percentage? What's the right figures? How much should I know how to give? And every time somebody asks me that question, I always answer the same. I would say, I don't know. Only you and God know. Only you and God know your circumstance right now in 2022. Only you and God know what it means for you to give your all. So I would never pretend to know what somebody should write down on a pledge card and bring forward on Consecration Sunday. But what I do know is that whatever it is should be a sacrifice. At least that's what Mother Teresa used to say. She used to say that that whenever we come into worship with an offering for God, it should be a gift that comes from the heart, and it should be a gift that is always a sacrifice. Because she said, don't ever think that, that when we offer a gift to God, it's meant to be like a, like a tip for God, for a job well done. 
nor is it, is it a, a way for us to try to reimburse God for all the blessings that he's bestowed upon us or a way of us saying, keep up the good work, Lord. No, she said, it, if it's going to be real and it's going to be from the heart, it should always cost something. Otherwise, it's just a, a gift that we make out of our abundance. And that's not a sacrifice. So I, I, don't, I don't know what anyone should ever give, but what I know is this, that when God receives it, he doesn't want it to be out of guilt or shame or obligation or compulsion. No, when we give, God wants to receive it as an act of worship. He wants to receive it as an act of faith and an act of trust. Stronger than that, he wants to receive it as an act of sacrificial love. Now, some of you know, I, I had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to sit, take a small group from our staff out to Leewood, Kansas for a leadership conference. Uh, it was held at a church called Church of the Resurrection. This is one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, Methodist church in the country. And it's a church that was founded by and continues to be pastored by uh, a guy named Adam Hamilton. And I know many of you are familiar with Adam Hamilton, great preacher, great teacher, and he is absolutely a prolific author. Well, I remember a few years ago, I was reading one of Adam Hamilton's books in which he told a story about a camping trip that he and his family took out to the Grand Teton Mountains. He said it was a summer trip that we had been looking forward to for a long, long time. My girls were preteens, and they were so excited. So we drive out, and we find a camping spot, and we get everything set up, and we were just so excited to be there, my girls couldn't wait to start the vacation. And so after we got the camping site settled, the first question they asked is, can we go shopping? <laughs> okay, fine, yeah, we can go shopping. So he said, uh, my wife and I took the girls and we went into Jackson Hole and we looked around and shopped around. But, but before we got out of the car, he said, I kind of had to have the dad talk with them you know, about, about spending money. And so I remember turning around in the car to the girls, and he said, now listen, this week, you got 20 bucks. That's all you get, 20 bucks for spending money. You don't get a dime more, so spend it wisely. And try not to spend it all today. Like, like hold on to it for a little bit, you know? Debate and ponder and, and, and make good decisions because if you spend it all today, you're not getting more at the end of the week. They said, yes, sir. And they went off and they went shopping. 15 minutes later, he said, my daughter Rebecca came running up to me and she said, dad, 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 I need my money. He said, are you, did you not hear a word I said? She said, no, dad, I found the, the perfect thing and I need my money. He said, what is it? She said, it's a baseball cap. Okay, how much is the baseball cap? It's 20 bucks. He said, don't you want to wait until the end of the week? You might find something else. Why don't we wait? And if you still want it at the end of the week, we'll come back. She said, Dad, it's the last one, and I have to have it. Can I please have my money? Okay, fine. So he gave her, her 20 bucks. She went and bought the hat, and she was happy. After they went shopping, they went back to the campsite for lunch. After lunch, his daughter Rebecca said, hey, Dad, why don't we go for a hike around the lake? He said, great. So we put our backpacks on and we made our trek around the lake. It probably took an hour, hour and a half. 
And he said, by the time we got to the other side of the lake, he said, you wouldn't believe the beauty of this place. You know, just the mountains and the lakes and the trees. It said it was a postcard. So we decided to find a rock where we could sit down and rest for a little bit and just enjoy the beauty of the day. And when we did, he said, my daughter Rebecca proceeded to open up her book bag and she pulled out the baseball cap. And she said, Dad, as soon as I saw it, I knew I had to have it. I knew you would love it. So here, this is for you. Dad, I love you. Adam Hamilton said, I was literally speechless. I didn't even know what to say. He said, I was just, I was just crying, and I pulled her in, and I hugged her as tight as I could, and I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. He said, to this day, it is still one of my most treasured possessions. If somebody offered me $10 million for it, I wouldn't take it. Because whenever I see that hat, what I see is a gift of sacrificial love. When I see that hat, what I think of is a little girl who gave her everything to tell her father she loves him. I think that's what Jesus saw in the widow's mind. I think that when, when Jesus saw this w widow come forward with these two small copper coins and she placed them in the temple treasury, what he saw was not a woman who was trying to impress God with the size of her gift. No, he saw a widow who was trying to express to God the size of her faith and the size of her trust. And I know, I know that... <laughs> When she put those coins in the temple treasury, they didn't echo throughout the room. There was no resounding boom as she placed them into the coffers. But I promise you this, that gift echoed throughout the halls of heaven because that was a gift of sacrificial love. And for Jesus, that's what faith sounds like. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at AthensFirstUMC.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following us on Instagram or Facebook at AthensFirstUMC.org.